We're at the end of our series, close to it. Next week will be the end of our series, I Will Dance Like David Danced. And we're looking at words that have been misapplied, not purposely, it's not like a conspiracy theory, but they've been, I don't know, misappropriated, misused by culture, and, and, and it's robbed these words of, of their biblical power, right? And, and the, the result of that is it, it, it's robbed you of your joy. If you didn't really understand these, these biblical words and you've caught on to them through culture, they've been kind of stripped of their power and their meaning, right? So they're no longer joyful words. They're kind of get-to-work kind of words. So we've been looking at these words um, in this, and what we've learned so far that experience, to experience the kind of joy that's, that's shown in this kind of picture right here, um, we have to know God, right? We have to participate in what God is doing. He's not a spectator. We can't be spectators either. We participate in what the triune God is up to, right? We join God the Father in creating places of light in places of darkness. We bring life. And we join God the Son in, in telling people that they've been forgiven, Right? And, and, and God the Father wants to reconnect with them. And we also join the Spirit in, in drawing people into holy community. That's what the Spirit does. And so to really participate in, in, in what has been called uh, perichoresis, right? the dance of the triune God, that perfect relationship of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and the joy that they experience in their perfect love and submission to one another. Nobody has, no one has to do anything, they just submit to one another, and it's pure joy. And we're invited to join in that dance, but we have to participate in the relationship that is God has revealed to us in Scripture. So when God, when Scripture reveals to us God the Father, we respond to God the Father. When Scripture reveals the triune God as God the Son, we respond to Jesus. And when Scripture presents God as the Holy Spirit, we respond to the Holy Spirit. And, and that's our worship, and that's our, the way we adore God. So we've looked at two words so far that have been stripped of their meaning. First word is spirituality. It's a catch-all phrase, kind of term used by all sorts of people for all sorts of circumstances with all sorts of meanings. It can include God, but it doesn't always include God. The God part is optional, right? Um, But once the word spirituality has been separated from its biblical home, it gets stripped of its meaning, right? Once spirituality has been separated from the Holy Spirit of God, we've got some problems, right? We've got idolatry. Then we begin to use God for our own purposes and our own uses our own benefit, right? God, if you just help me get that raise, you know, boy, I'd sure be giving a lot more tithe money. This is all on you, God, right? Or if only if you'd make that girl in math class like me, boy, I'd tell her all about Jesus, you know, and sounds really good. It sounds spiritual and all, but it's really not. It has nothing to do with God. It's kind of all to do with, with us. As long as it sounds sincere and good, questionable motives, quietly attach themselves to God. And then last week, we looked at the soul. Biblically speaking, the soul is that, that description of our, our total humanness, which has to include all of God and what all God does in our lives. It's the biblical term for our lives, our Christ-centered lives with God. Other terms that you read in your Bible, crazy terms, kidney, you'll see that, loins, and I was like, what? Heart. But they're all really the the same thing. It's your life embedded in Christ. It's your God life. Soul is the bigger, probably the top of the heap of those kind of words that describe this God life in, in us. It's the biblical term for who we are and what we are. But our culture has replaced the word soul with self. 
Self is the soul minus God. It's how we use now to designate who we are and what we are. We're no longer a soul, we're just self. God and other people are squeezed out unless, of course, we can use them, right? We can be a part of my life if, if I can use you in some way. That's called idolatry. When, soul replaces the, when self replaces soul, God and other people become just problems or solutions to you. Right? Every person I meet, you're either going to help me with my projects or I have a feeling that you want me to help you with your needs and issues and wants and sorrows. And so we're kind of both using each other. And at the end of the day, neither of us has any value for who we are and what we are. We're just objects to be used by each other. So how do we put spirit of God back into spirituality? How do we put soul back into self? We've looked at a couple of ways. First way is we introduce people to the author of their spirituality. They recognize all this stuff. They feel all this stuff. And we said, hey, let me introduce you to the person behind all this stuff. He's my God and my savior, right? So we can introduce him to the author of spirituality. And how do we, we, how do we, how do we put self back into soul? Well, we change seats. We simply change seats. Herod and the Pharisees, they preferred to be in the driver's seat. They had built their own kingdom to themselves. But what we find out is we have to let God take us to the places that we simply can't get there on our own. True poverty is believing that you can do it all on your own. That's what the Beatitude was talking about. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall see God. A third way that we can put the spirit of God back into spirituality and the soul back into self um, is probably the most important way. In fact, it's called the way, and it's our word for the day. Hit that next one right there, Jesus. He is known as the way. His spirituality was useful for us because it covered everything, right? All this out there-ness and all this within-ness. Jesus takes all of that spirituality, everything that everybody wants to attach to God, and, and he brings it all into this incredibly clear, tight, concise, light-filled focus. This is how Jesus said it. He says, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. See, as we've seen, God and spirit Detached from the Bible, they both become very vague. They become very useful for all sorts of different things that they're not. Right? You understand how that, that kind of happens. Um, they become abstract, vague ideas, feelings, and motivations. Um, it happens then, it happens today, it'll probably keep happening. But the personhood of Jesus, the personhood of Jesus pushes all that vagueness and all that abstractness clear out of the picture. There's nothing vague, nothing abstract about Jesus Christ at all. Guy is just as, as solid humanly on this earth as you could possibly be, right? Everything that we need to know about Jesus, we know from the gospel accounts in the context of the Old Testament, right? We know that he was born in Bethlehem. Hit that next slide there. We know he was born in Bethlehem. We knew he grew up in Nazareth. We know he gathered disciples in Galilee. We know he raised a dead man in Bethany, went to a wedding in Cana, and he taught in the temple of Jerusalem. These are all places that you can go today and you can find them. You can sit there and you can look around and go, wow, Jesus Christ, God walked in this place on this earth right where I'm standing. It's not mythical places. It's not a mythical land. 
Jesus, he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was killed on a hill called Golgotha, place of skulls. Centurions from Rome were a part of the story. Had a surprise supper in Emmaus after he was risen from the dead. A beach fish fry on the Sea of Galilee, and then he spoke in the upper room. We know too much about Jesus, about his life and his spirituality. I have a friend. I taught school with this person, very brilliant. And I had a conversation one day with her about God and about spirituality. And, and she proceeded to tell me her spirit, her, it was the craziest thing. She created, and she's very, very, very brilliant. She is a, a, a genius. She doesn't, hopefully she's not watching this. She never fails to let me know that she's a genius. Um, but she crafted this Jesus one day. And, and, I, and, I, and, I, and, I, and I said, um, that, where, where did you read about this? Well, I just think that's the way he should be. And I thought, well, that's, 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 that's kind of silly. I didn't, say any, I didn't say silly, but in my mind I'm thinking, you're nuts. You can't do that, <laughs> right? You can't do that about a real person. You can't make up stories about that. That's libel and that's all sorts of stuff. Someone's going to sue you. Well, they probably won't. But right? Jesus simply doesn't allow room for that kind of nonsense. Right? The gospel accounts simply give us too much information about his life and his spirituality. Back in the day, there were a whole bunch of people that came along after Jesus died and they said, hey, let's fill in the blanks. The four gospel writers didn't fill in the blanks. People want to know about, you know, what did he do as a kid? And was he a little, you know, was he, was he a cool kid or was he a bully? And, all, you know, and they, they made up all these crazy stories, these secret gospels. And, and none of them are accurate. They just, they attempted to fill in a bunch of blanks. Um, and, and at the end of the day, you end up with less of Jesus instead of more of Jesus. So all the details, all the specific names, the places, the times, the seasons, all the information we need is right there, forming an incredibly tight, clear, light-filled focus, Jesus. The name of Jesus, the person of Jesus. If you've ever wondered who God is, if you've ever wondered how God acts, Right? If you ever wonder what he says or what he does, what he doesn't do, there's your answer. There's your answer. This is God. This is God entering into your problems, your issues, your sorrows, your pain, your relationships. Even when you and your friend said, nah, God wouldn't stoop that low. This says that he did and he will. If you've ever wondered whether you're loved or valued for just who you are, this name says that you are. That's, I don't want to say that's all you need to know, but that's all you need to know. And yet push, people push the name away. They prefer the abstractness and the vagueness because in that room they have room to craft their own Jesus. God's word doesn't allow for that. Everything we need to know is right there. I want you to listen to the rest of this conversation. We're going to enter a time of prayer right afterwards. We're going to come back. We're going to sing some songs, worship to the name of Jesus. And then I want to bring some Bible teaching to us as we, as we conclude. This is from John chapter 14. This is, this is the context of Jesus saying, I'm the truth, the way, the truth, and the life. Because it makes more sense with it. It's in the context. So in John chapter 14, verses 1 and 2, it says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? The answer is, no, of course not. 
Verse three, and if I go and I prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you may also be where I am. And I want you to notice what I highlight on there. This is huge. This is so important. He's not talking about come join me in heaven. That's not what he's talking about at all. You remember back in Genesis when God said, where are you, Adam? It's not like God couldn't find Adam. He's God, right? <laughs> Don't be silly. But God was, this is what he's asking. Um, Adam, where are you? you it, it's a relational question. It's like, Adam, where are you? You're supposed to be right here beside me because this is where I can give you life. If you separate yourself from me, you separate yourself from life. You have life when you're beside where, where, where are you, Adam? Because Adam had run from God because he felt like God was cheating him out of something and he thought he'd have a better time on his own, call his own shots, create his own world. that you may be where I am. Jesus is saying to us, I'm going to bring you back into that garden relationship with the Father. You remember in Genesis, after the, the mess up, they were kicked out of the garden, and there were some cherubs, right, cherubim. They were placed at the entrance of the garden. You remember what they had in their hands? Flaming swords, like that scary stuff. Jesus is saying right here, he says, where I am, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take you back into the garden and I'm going to go underneath the flaming sword. And I'm going to break that sword. When I give my life on that cross, I'm going to bring you all back into the Father. And that sword is going to be busted on my back, not on yours. And you're going to enter back into the Father's presence but it's got to be through me because nobody else can go underneath that flaming sword. We can't do it. We die. The very next thing Jesus says, light bulbs should have gone on on their head. They, they should have, like if light bulbs had been invented yet, like maybe little candles went off above their head. Listen to this, John verse 4. says, you know the place, excuse me, you know the way to the place where I'm going. Again, the disciples are so worried about Jesus talking about him going someplace, and in their mind they're talking, in, in their minds they're thinking a locational, geographical place, and in Jesus' mind, he's going, no, 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 I'm going to a place, I'm going to a relational place, and I want to take you to that relational place. It's not location, it's not a geographical place, it's a relational place. You know the way throughout the Old Testament, the, the disciples should have known this, throughout the Old Testament, the way or the path always describes the life of a man, the life of a person, whether it's straight or crooked. The way of the righteous man is straight. The way of a sinful man is crooked. The way and the path. The disciple should have known. He's not talking about, not just talking about a destination. In other words, Jesus is both a destination and the road that we must travel. Hit that one more slide there. There you go. Again and again, Jesus told his disciples what was going to happen, but they, 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 they didn't get it. They, they, they were so focused on physical here and nowness that the whole spiritual world that Jesus was trying to impress upon them, it just, it, little bits of it were sneaking in, peeking in, and, and, and settling in, but they, they just they didn't, quite, didn't quite get it all. So I want to pick up the conversation. This is in verse 6 and 7. Says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. 
Now, that was the craziest statement for a Jewish person that could have been made. It was just off the charts. In fact, in chapter 6, Peter had asked a question. Jesus had been trying to explain everything. You know, we're going to go back to chapter 6 here in a little bit. Um, and Peter, asked, Peter says something. He says, look, look, Jesus, just, you're not making a lick of sense. Just show us the Father, and that will be enough. That will be enough. And then Jesus says, from now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. Again, to the Jew who saw the face of God, what comes next? Death. Even when he appeared before Moses, remember he said, you'll only see the back of my head, but you won't see my face. Y'all can't handle that. From now on, you do know him and you've seen him. Not from now on, I will perform for you tricks. I will perform for you wonders. I will do fireworks. I will do magic shows. And I will do all this kind of stuff day after day for you. No, from now on, you've seen me. That's all you need to see. That's all you need to know. You don't need any more signs, wonders, or anything. You got to be okay with just me. You got to be okay with just Jesus. And this morning, we got to ask ourselves, do we, do we really see him? You're going to ask, I know you're thinking, okay, Jerry, you're going to preach a sermon on Jesus. Really, how, how more elementary can you get? But I have a feeling that there's a facet of Jesus. There's a particular aspect of Jesus' life that a lot of us don't spend a lot of time with. We spend a lot of time with his majesty and, and, and the fact that he's a shepherd and he's the vine and he's the water and he's the bread and he's all these incredible, incredible metaphorical things and, 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 and the metaphor that... that, that, that you know, description of, of real life, but this one facet of his life I want to present to you this morning after we sing some songs of praise and worship and we allow God's spirit to kind of get you ready to hear a little bit more from scripture. This one facet is just going to surprise you. The Bible calls it a stumbling block. This, this one little thing about Jesus Christ, people just couldn't accept everything else, like all good, good and fine, but this one thing and even to this day, it's this one thing that keeps people from Christ. And therefore, they don't have a relationship with their Heavenly Father. And maybe, maybe without really thinking about it, this aspect of Jesus has quietly robbed you of your joy. And as hard as it is to accept, this particular fact, I think, is going to bring back your joy and it's going to free you. And I want to pray this morning. I'm going to pray. We, we, we have our altars open. If you'd like to come to the altar this morning and, and this is your place where you spend time with God, I want to invite you to do that. Our worship team will be coming back up here in just a little bit. We're going to be singing some songs to the name of Jesus. But I want to take our cue from Mary before we enter our prayer time. In this first one, Luke chapter 2, verse 19, Jesus had been born, and the angels and the shepherds and, and all this stuff had happened, and, and, and Mary's looking at her, her baby boy, and she's trying to reconcile my baby boy with everything that the angels had said and, what, and the shepherds, and she's like, my, this, but this is my baby boy. How? How? And so what does she respond? She, she just ponders them in her heart. You notice that word heart. You could throw in the word soul. She pondered them. Not in her life without God, but in her life with God. And then a little bit later on, he's 12 years old. And he goes to the temple and he amazes the rabbis. And she's thinking, I know what God, I know what the angel said, but how can my little baby boy be God? How? And we're faced with that same question this morning. How can the name Jesus 
We sing praises to him. It's his name that we honor. It's his name above every other name. It's his name that every knee will bow down to. What is it? This morning we're going to find out. But right now I want you all to bow your heads. In your bulletin, if you've got a bulletin, there are a bunch of prayer needs. There are, there are some people who are in the hospital. They're waiting for medical procedures. They're, 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 they're waiting to be healed. And I don't know how God has decided to heal that, but he wants to hear from us. And he wants us to bring up our friends to him, intercede for our, our friends on this list and those not on this list. But I also want you this morning to just, in your prayer time, in this next couple of minutes, just focus on... What is Jesus to you? Are you bored with Jesus? Has Jesus kind of taken a sideline and you're doing Jesus stuff, but you're really not all that close to Jesus himself? And maybe you're losing your passion, your focus. Things are getting a little confused. So this morning, just, just during this prayer time, could I ask you just, just to, again, focus on the needs of your family and friends and, and, and the family here um, but let God's Spirit prepare you to hear about his son this morning. Maybe something that, that you hadn't really thought about or hadn't really thought about long and hard. But this morning is, is that time. Bow your heads. Father, thank you so much for your son who we have so many questions. We, have, we feel so much as human beings. And, and your son as a human being explains everything. Everything makes sense in Jesus. Without Jesus, nothing really makes sense. Father, this morning, there are a lot of people, probably in this room, who actually don't know your son. They've been attending. They've been taking it all in, but they've never taken that step to trust the name of Jesus. To take seriously the fact that he said, I am the only way to the Father. You got to come through me. As exclusive as that sounds, that's the way it is. So, Father, this morning, if there are people in this room who, who have, well, they're, they're God believers, um, but they've never taken that step to know your son. This morning, Lord, let that be today. By the power of your spirit, that proud people would kneel before your name. And submit to you, not that they would lose their life, but they would get their life back plus. As every follower of Jesus Christ in this room will testify. Father, thank you for your son. Thank you for the fact that he's beside you. Relationally, and by the spirit, you draw us into that relationship. And that's where we find joy. Father, this morning... Like Mary, show us Jesus. Show us Jesus in a way maybe that we've never seen him before this morning, Father. You've given him all glory. Through him we see you. Father, help us to attend to your son this morning. 100%. Father, we pray that the songs that we now sing will be a blessing to you. In your son's holy name we pray. Amen. So the name of Jesus, meaning God with us, God amongst us, Emmanuel, 
And understand, uh, Emmanuel really isn't, uh, I was, was kind of confused about this kid. How come they don't call him Emmanuel? Why do they call him Jesus? Emmanuel is kind of a title, like Mighty God, Everlasting Father. Um, I know some kids are named those kind of names. He's, I, I, as a school teacher, I did run into a couple kids with names very similar to that. Um, but, but Jesus is his name, Yeshua, right? Um, so God with us, Emmanuel, God with us. And the basic tenet of the Christian faith is the fact that we do believe that Jesus is, in fact, God. Anybody not, don't raise your hand. But know that most of the people in this room who follow Jesus believe that, that, that Jesus Christ is in fact God. One aspect, one third of the triune God. I don't know if we can divide it up into thirds necessarily, but you know, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And you would think that this fact would be the hardest thing to believe, that Jesus is God. But turns out that's not the hardest thing to believe at all. The hardest thing for folks to believe then and now is just how ordinary Jesus was, right? He, you know, he's walking around, he's got his Birkenstocks and his Roman toga on, and he's just like, he's just, he's your average Joe. He's just, he's walking down the street. You know, I, I remember I read something to y'all, he, he never led anything, he never led an army, a navy, never sat on a parliament, never, never sat on a government, I mean, never, never did any of the things that, that this world would think, wow, that's a person who's made it, that's somebody. Never did one of those things, he just loved people. And that name has become the name that has changed the world. The name that probably above any other name in the world, everybody knows. Whether they call it Jesus or Jesus, doesn't matter. They know the name of Jesus. Again, a roadblock for lots of folks then and now is just, just how human Jesus was. Right? If this is God, he should be spectacular. Right? He should look like, I don't know, Mel Gibson 30 years ago. I, you know, guy, ladies, help me out here. I, 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 He's looking pretty scary these days. Um, his humanness was a roadblock for him, them now, and for us, and now for us also. Several times in John chapter 6, we're going to spend the rest of our time in John chapter 6, Jesus is dismissed simply because of how boring he is. I mean, it's horrible. Watch this. This is in John chapter 6, verse 42. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he say, I came down from heaven? See, Jesus had just made this really extravagant, kind of crazy claim. The back, remember back in Numbers, when the, when the manna came down from heaven, what is it? The, the bread wafers? He said, that, that was me. And they're like, what? <laughs> they, they couldn't accept that. Like, no, no, you're, you're Jesus, right? We know your mom, right? You, you played an upward basketball, right? And, and, and he wasn't even that good. Like, he kept giving the ball to other people like he wanted other teams to win, like Jesus, right? He's just so ordinary, so, so ordinary. And then a few verses on, he offers his own blood and his own body as food for eternal life, and this is the way they respond. They begin to argue sharply among themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? This man meaning this nobody. Very specific there. How can this nobody... Raised in Nazareth, born in Bethlehem, shepherd, carpenter. How can this nobody give us his flesh to eat? And suddenly, and to this day, many of Jesus' followers simply couldn't accept it. They couldn't fit the miracles and the message into such an unimpressive form. And their question kind of sums it up. It's a rhetorical question. We don't need to answer it. We know the answer. Upon hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? And when it says this is a hard teaching, it wasn't a hard-to-understand teaching. They got it. They understood what he was talking about. 
They just refused to accept it. You're just Jesus. You're, you're saying we got to take you in, and by taking you in, we're taking God in? Yeah, look at you. Look in the mirror. Right? You need to shave. Cut your hair. Why are they refusing to accept us? Because Jesus is so obviously human, so uncharismatic, right? So everyday Joe. But Jesus knows what a foot, right? He knows what we're thinking about him. He, he, he totally, he does. And he responds to their incredulousness with a kind of a strange question, the same question he asks us today. Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? Right? In other words, what if I levitated right here in front of you? Would you believe me then? Yeah. Yeah, we would. That's not the way it's going to happen, though. That's not the way I've been given. That's not the Jesus way. I'm not going to perform miracles. I'm not going to do that for the rest of your lives. Tomorrow, the next day, the next day, because you know what? On the third day, you're going to ask for another one. Then you're asked for another one. Then you're going to ask for another one. That way doesn't work. Y'all want that way, but that's not the way. Right down here is the way. His body broken. That's the way. We're going to get back to that. Why, why won't you do it that way? Jesus explains the spirit gives life the flesh counts for nothing all this earthy stuff all these walking all this kind of stuff you know I'm, I'm i'm doing it to show you who i am i'm not doing it to impress you you need to understand that i am god as unimpressive as i look i am god the words i have spoken to you they're full of the spirit and life yet there are some of you who do not believe Right, The Spirit gives life, not out-of-the-world demonstrations, not fireworks, not special effects. They don't give life. That's the flesh. And we'll just demand more of it, and we'll never have enough of it. That's the flesh. We all know that. But the Spirit marks the quiet, really often concealed, right, unassuming ways in which Jesus works out his salvation amongst us. This dazzling creation, the astonishing salvation, this avalanche of blessings, it all gets worked out in and under our Everyday humanness, right? Monday morning, you're going to meet your neighbor, and your neighbor will have done something mean, and you know what? You're going to forgive your neighbor. That's still the way Jesus is God amongst us. Steadily guiding and showing us God in words like, you know, please forgive me. I forgive you. I love you. Thank you. By giving grace and mercy and forgiveness to our neighbors and friends, and according to Jesus, are not so friends. It's kind of boring stuff. But God's word tells us that's the way salvation has worked out. That's the way we, our joy is made complete, and that's the way your neighbors and your friends and your not so friends, that's the way their joy is made complete. It's not the fireworks show. So Jesus asked the 12 if they're going to abandon him too. And Peter replies, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Peter had come to a place where we'd all like to be, where we all need to be, if we're to continue to follow Jesus. See, Peter doesn't impose on Jesus his own dreams, his own ambitions, everything that he wants. He simply says, Jesus, you are the man. Tell me what to do next. I will follow you. Two dangers to the followers of Jesus we've got to face. 
all the time. The first danger, we get so distracted by our God projects, our God ideas. It sounds strange, but we actually lose interest in God. Maybe it's happened to you. You got so involved as a Sunday school teacher or as a board member or as a committee member, and at the end of it, you're just thinking, wow, I've never felt further <laughs> from God. This was miserable. You have that feeling sometimes, right? We assume that with the name God attached that we're actually involved with God, but it ends up that we're, we're not. We're, here's the second thing that happens. We get so worked up acting for God, right, that we actually detach ourselves from the relational obedience that is the basis of our relationship. We substitute ourselves and our egos in God's place. This happens, you see this all the time, very well-intentioned people, school teachers, activists, people trying to end human trafficking, world hunger. It's not that they don't like God. Um, you just get the impression that they're bored with God. Excuse me, they're bored with Jesus, right? The, the problems that they're facing are so big that this ordinary Jesus, there's no way that he, he can address these huge issues that we've got in our world Two things are going on with people like this. Number one, they don't understand the depths of the sin problem. And number two, they don't understand that this ordinary man, Jesus, is the answer to those issues. We've been thinking since the Enlightenment that we'll think our way into a beautifulness. And we ended up in World War I, World War II, Korean War, Afghan, blah, 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 blah. It'll never stop. Y'all just stop it. That's silliness. We don't understand the depth of our sin problem. And if we don't understand the depths of our sin problem, then Jesus becomes optional we can go out and good do stuff we can do great stuff what do we need this guy for he's not really that impressive anyway again they're not anti-jesus they're just a little bored with them good people but the message of jesus is secondary to them because they they just don't get how such an ordinary figure could fix things and here was where we land today Jesus is the central and defining figure in the spiritual life. His life literally is revelation. He brings out into the open everything that we could never have figured out in a million years. He makes it all just plain for all of us to see. The big threat to living a real authentic, honest life in Christ is to dump this ordinary man and to create something like my friend, the English teacher, kind of created something more to her liking that she could then use for her purposes. This is why he calls us back to the table. And he says, continue to do this until I return. Otherwise, you're going to forget that I was a human being. Christ came down and he became one of us. You ever wonder, does he understand? He does. He totally understands. If Jesus has become incidental to your faith... He invites you to the table this morning. If you're looking for a quick fix, this right here should end all of that silliness right here now, this morning. Again, if you've ever wondered who God is, when you take that bread and you break it, there's your answer. When you take that bread and break it, that's going to answer, this is how God acts. This is what God does. This is what God doesn't do. This is God entering my relationship, my pain, my sorrows. 
my relationships. This, when you break the bread, this is how much he loves you. If you want to join in the dance, this is the way you enter the dance. You never forget the life of Christ who was broken for us. Father, thank you for your son. Thank you for the incredible love that you display for us in your relationship, in your triune relationship, Father, and you invite us through the blood of your Son to join in that relationship, Lord. This morning, I pray that people, more people joined in that dance, joined in the joy that is that dance, because they know the depths of their sin, they know they've been forgiven, and they know that you love them so much. Thank you, Father. Thank you for your Son. In his name I pray. Amen. Folks, have a wonderful week proclaiming you're saved. By the name of Jesus, have a wonderful week.